This is Pave It Black. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pave It Black, the official podcast of the National Asphalt Pavement Association. My name is Richard Willis. And I'm Brett Williams. And welcome to season six. In season six, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. This year, we're going to focus on specific projects that have been either groundbreaking for the industry or could set standards for the way we do things moving forward. And today is no different. Today, we're going to talk about some of the recent work that NAPA and now contractors are doing with the General Services Administration for the U.S. government. Now, the General Services Administration is a department within the U.S. government that manages a lot of the buildings, parking lots for federal courthouses and such. And they recently approached NAPA about developing an environmentally preferred asphalt standard. So today I'm interested to hear how contractors can prepare and play in this new and evolving area of construction requirements. So to help us talk and learn a little bit more about this process and what GSA has done, we've invited Pat Weaver to be a part of the podcast. Now, Pat is an investor in Sunland Construction and was the president of Solterra Materials who did the first GSA environmentally preferred asphalt job. Welcome to the podcast, Pat. And can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yes, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, Richard. I've been in the industry for a little over 37 years, and I've had the opportunity the last four years to start and manage uh, Solterra Materials for our ownership of Sunland Construction. And these past four years, we've seen a lot of interesting changes in our industry, specifically in the sustainability side of things. And with the GSA and, and projects like like they're putting forward right now. My background started off in the laboratory years and years ago and moved through progressive management and responsibility increases working for companies like Vulcan Materials, Old Castle slash CRH, and then also some privately held companies like like in my past four years with Sunland slash Solterra. And um I've been involved with NAPA and working with this fantastic organization the last few years and really appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast this morning. Thanks, Pat. So I've read the GSA's requirements and I was just hoping maybe you could share in your own words what the environmentally preferred asphalt standard is or what it means or something along those lines. Like how would you kind of describe it or classify it? So that's a great question, Brett. To be quite honest about the whole situation with the GSA, we kind of stumbled upon it a little bit by accident. We got involved early on with EPDs and working through those with Solterra, making sure that we had a better understanding of the carbon footprint, if you will, or the carbon carry that each one of our mixtures has from cradle to gate. And in doing so, we started publishing. EPDs through NAPA's uh, EPD program. From there, I got a phone call asking us if we were aware of the GSA requirements, and we weren't. So we investigated what that looked like, and we found that through EPDs, we met their requirement just by having EPDs on our various products. So as you're saying, this was one of the things or a standard that came relatively quickly because of some of the the funding that was a part of 
the bipartisan infrastructure law or IIJA. And one of the things is it, it does require EPDs, but it also has some other options for making sure that you can be considered environmentally preferred or however you want to define it. And so I guess the question is, as you mentioned, this was something that you you kind of stumbled upon and it kind of happened by happy accident, I guess is a good way to, to call it with a phone call from asking about it because you had made EPDs. There are a few other kind of requirements or options for looking at being more environmentally preferred than maybe a, a standard or what might be considered a, a typical asphalt production that was done 10 years ago. Are there any things that Solterra did to help kind of meet those checkboxes or to show the GSA that, yes, that we're not just quantifying, but we're trying to do things better? Absolutely. First and foremost, we have some pretty tough standards out here in the desert in Maricopa County, Arizona, with being a, a non-attainment area. Our, our emission requirements, our plant emission requirements are pretty stringent. We wanted to make sure when we started the business that not only could we meet these standards, but we could set the bar higher and be better than the standards. So we instituted uh, very quickly in the operation that this project was supplied from. We put in liquefied natural gas systems so that our invisible emissions numbers would be as low as possible. We put a state-of-the-art burner technology. We made sure that anything and everything we did met the standards as well as set standards for the future. We didn't want to have to come and do this over again. Unfortunately, we didn't have the opportunity to bring natural gas online because of the location. So we selected a little bit more expensive process and we put in a full-on uh, liquid natural gas tank system, underground uh, metering system. And we, we did it exactly the way you're supposed to do it for an asphalt plant and then some. And that was one of the cases. The other thing is, is introducing recycled products, wrap specifically into the market. Arizona's been very low on wrap utilization because quite frankly, our wrap is very aged, very brittle. Some of the worst aged wrap in the country. When I send samples out to people to evaluate their recycling agents, most people think it's a joke because it's such a high, highly brittle product. And so we've incorporated using top of the line rejuvenating agents for our wrap. And then lastly, warm mix additives. Our location, even though we're in a desert and it's fairly warm, we put warm mix add mixtures in most of our mixes, just generally speaking, for ease of compaction. And because we'll haul asphalt at times 40, 50, 60 miles, as we did the, the Lukeville project that we're talking about. So we had already begun to put things in from the beginning of our business four years ago to making sure our products had the highest quality and the lowest carbon footprint that we could have in it, all even before we started measuring that with EPDs. So you described a lot of efforts and really what amounted to being prepared for the standard. But I'm kind of curious, when you saw these requirements come out, did that change any of your operating procedures or had you pretty much had everything in place where you were ready for this and didn't have to make any changes to kind of address some of the requirements that were put forward? We had everything in place. In fact, 
the way it came across was the GSA found our EPD online, and then they reached out to us and through the the contractor that they had on the project. And ironically, I get this call and they said, you know, we would like to use you on our project in Lukeville. And I've been here in Phoenix off and on for almost 40 years. It was the first time I ever heard of Lukeville. Sounds kind of funny. I said, okay, great. Where's Lukeville? And we looked it up on the map and it's a small little border crossing station between Mexico and Arizona in an area of the state I've never seen in my life. And it just so happens it wasn't that far of a haul, like an hour and a half haul. And when they sent us all the requirements, we actually gave them different options. We gave them three different mix options. All of them came with warm mix built in. We had everything in place to give not just what they found on line, but we gave them three different EPDs and mix designs for them to choose from. And it made them pretty happy. They were ecstatic about that and chose what best fit for their application. And we went from there. So this was kind of the beginning of something new in terms of looking at providing a customer something specifically focused on hitting certain environmental requirements or or requests. Having gone through this, an opportunity of something that maybe like Solterra could leverage in the future for different types of, of work or maybe even kind of create a competitive advantage when you're starting to look at the new and kind of emerging markets where Right now, looking at the Inflation Reduction Act, the EPA is going to be developing a a low-carbon construction material labeling system. And you've got other works that are happening with FHWA and even FEMA. And GSA is getting even more and more money for this type of work. Is this something that, one, you see it's going to start becoming more of the norm and not just the exception? Or if you could kind of put on your Karnak the Magnificent hat for a minute. I think eventually it will allow for companies that are first in, as long as they continue to evolve with the requirements, to definitely have a competitive advantage. Uh, Solterra, Sunland, that team can move this ball forward, but we just can't sit on our hands and assume that what we're doing today is going to fit for what we do tomorrow, because some of those things might change. Kind of an interesting anecdote is there's many um, states in the Western U.S. that kind of push back at first of, oh, you know, we're not sure we're going to do EPDs or we're not sure we're going to go in this direction or that direction. But it's amazing how quickly that that can turn on a dime when other states and other local, local agencies start pushing and promoting these types of measurements. It's also kind of an aha moment when you produce an EPD and you see that Maybe your greenhouse gas emission number as part of the CO2 per kilograms per ton of mix calculation is determined. You start looking and seeing, wow, our mixtures have a lot higher carbon footprint than maybe the state next door. Are we really doing what's right when it comes by that and the quality of our mixes? So I see that this is going to continue to evolve and continue to change. But you have to be in at least measuring your own products first. And if you're not measuring your own products through EPDs, you don't know where you're at. You can't start changing up your mix designs and having abatement conversations with industry. Case in point, a few months back, I was speaking with some folks at the Arizona DOT, and they weren't sure they were going to go in the EPD direction. And then FHWA came out with the climate initiative 
just uh, in, in the month of August. And I quickly got a phone call saying, how do we get involved? How do we do this? Where do we go? Well, let's work on this together. And I had a great opportunity to have that dialogue with ADOT. And together we put out a request for funding for some research projects. And, I mean, that's how fast this can turn, Richard. It's amazing, but you got to be ready. This is an encouragement to other mixed suppliers, contractors, you know, Napa folks. Don't wait for someone else. Get on board, know what your numbers are, look to see what's driving those numbers and truly figure out what can you do in advance to drive those. Because I believe that what will happen is after a while of reporting these numbers and measuring, there's going to be some requirements to have some reduction. We have to know what truly drives those, you know, the, the best bang for the buck driving those reductions, quite frankly. That's a pretty good lead into the next question that I'm thinking is, so we have these new requirements or newer requirements, and they kind of focused on some procurement and how jobs are going to be looked at in the future, at least with this agency. And so I'm just kind of curious because you were well prepared and had put a lot of measures in place for this. If you had some other ideas, I mean, you kind of alluded to right there that looking at some reductions in the future, but are there other areas where you're seeing this quickly evolving new area for the industry to maybe consider that might be coming down the pipe? And then you also talked about some of the preparations and things that producers can do to prepare themselves for those things, but are there other other areas that they really need to be thinking about in that as well? I'm a very big proponent, Brett, of looking at the performance of the mixes through balanced mix designs, and then without being required to do this, just to do it out of interest of our industry and in future push, adding a third leg to that evaluation. Because you can take a bubble graph like we do for balanced mix designs. And for that specific mix, you can add a point for your GHG CO2 number, if that makes sense. So if you can visualize this with me, you've got a graph and it says, okay, well, this mix has a certain value for rut resistance and it has a certain value for crack resistance and it has a third value for carbon carry if that makes sense. And then you can look at all your mixes and decide, okay, what is the best mix involved? And then you can put a price tag on that and understand, okay, this is going to cost us this, but we get the best of all three worlds when we evaluate the carbon carry. And I truly believe that's how we're going to move the needle on the road forward and, and get to the net carbon zero by 2050, is if we start making those type of strides on our own, so that we're ready for it. And then you can use that as any way you want to as a contractor or a supplier and say, hey, this is what our product does. And this is how it all comes together. So that's one of my visions, I guess, in, in looking at the sustainability of our products moving forward. That makes a lot of sense. I'd have one follow-up question, just you kind of touched on it with the price tag. I think there's a lot of things in this area that don't always cost more money. But when you start to think about getting optimal crack performance and reduced emissions, there might be the opportunity that it costs a little more. So I'm just kind of curious in terms of then how does the low bid situation kind of play into that or how do those blend in terms of when you look at 
agencies going out and procuring projects. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are there. We really need to continue our push as we have for the last few years on true balanced mixed designs. A lot of agencies want to add those requirements to their their laundry list of requirements for their mixes. So to have prescriptive mixes now with balanced mixed design requirement bolted onto that, that's when you drive costs up. When you allow creative, intelligent people to put the best products forward in an unrestricted fashion, then that's when you can have cost neutral or even cost savings. It's quite amazing that our industry is forced to use certain products in certain ways because that's what we've been doing for years. I can tell you in the state of Arizona and the local municipalities, we're required to use hydrated lime or Portland cement as an anti-strip. Those both have high carbon contents, high carbon carry contents, and higher than you say with warm mix, higher than you say with almost anything else. I've run the numbers and it's in a 20 to 30% of your carbon carrying number where you could introduce a high quality liquid anti-strip and get just as good of performance and not have a cost increase. So be cost neutral. And then you've dropped your carbon carry by 20 to 30%. It's simple things like that. Allowing wrap to be used as long as you use the wrap properly and when necessary, rejuvenated if it's as wicked stiff as ours is out here. But you have to allow that to happen. And a lot of standards don't. Government agencies need to work on their flexibility and get out of their own way. And I'm not throwing them under the bus by any means because there's reasons why things are done. But we've proven as an industry that we're pretty smart people and our goal isn't to make things worse. Our goal is to make our roads and pavements better. And we can do that and reduce our carbon carrying. And there's a lot of new technologies coming down in the pipe that can do the same thing with how we modify binders and how we put different additives in. And I think it's an exciting time to meet every goal that we're looking for. It's just not pie in the sky. I believe this truly is achievable in what we're looking to accomplish. I'd like to go back to something you mentioned earlier, where you talked about once Arizona DOT saw the climate challenge and saw like dollars kind of attached to some of these things, it kind of made them take a little bit of notice and say, okay, maybe we do need to kind of consider this. And if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, it's not a lot of mandates and thou shalt do this. It's incentives for getting DOTs and giving them extra money to work with contractors in this space. But I really think one of the things that you kind of alluded to is it, it's going to take a partnership of industry and agency kind of working together to make some of these changes and and really take advantage of these opportunities because there is money available, but we're going to have to approach it differently than we maybe necessarily did in the past. And so how do contractors work with agencies to look at maybe getting into some of these potentially untapped funds that we've had to take advantage of these opportunities that are out there, not necessarily see them as a burden, but an opening market for new and innovative work? That's a fantastic question. Every contractor has a different relationship with their customer base, which is the agencies. So there are some places where it's adversarial and there's other places where it's more relational. 
I believe that the locations and the areas in the country that is more relational will be able to work together more quickly. So I, I recommend in the areas that sometimes it's less relational and more the, the arguing and fighting part of it is try to get that changed. Work on trying to be beneficial about it. Mandates don't work. Mandates cause people to push back against each other. Relationship management is the best way to make these things happen and to bring it together as a team. It sounds kind of simple, but I've been watching this evolve for 37 years. And I remember back in the day where everything was, oh, that didn't work, tear it out to partnerships where, hey, let's figure this out and make great roads and great streets and great pavements in general. And that always is a much more joyful way of doing business than the arguing and fighting. Oh, I absolutely agree. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Pat, and you taking the time to share some of your insights in terms of being prepared for some of these new requirements that are being put out, such as the environmentally preferred asphalt standard. So I appreciate you guys letting me have an opportunity to join you on Pave It Black. Congratulations on season six. And I'm pretty proud of you all. It's, it's great to be part of your team. And I love asphalt. Thank you and really appreciate everything. So my takeaway today really goes back to that as much as someone might want to or may try I don't think we're at a place where we can ignore emissions or some of the different requirements that are starting to come online with environmental reporting or requirements for different things as far as mixes and and that. It's just we've kind of reached a point where even if you're working with an agency that hasn't been as receptive to some of these programs or systems or looking at emissions or those types of things, you're starting to see that there's enough funding and money being put towards these efforts that agencies are that maybe were a little bit less on the uptake are starting to take notice and realize that this is part of the future business that we're going to have this as at least a piece of what we're faced with for the future so it's a time to act and it's a time to prepare and a time to be part of that conversation yeah to paraphrase smoky robinson get ready here it comes but I think as as you're looking at this, if you aren't talking to your owners and if you're not talking to your DOTs and about this and what y'all can do together in this space, you're missing an opportunity, I think. I think in order for everyone to move forward in this space together, it's going to take partnership. And Pat kind of hit on it that it was something that they worked with the DOT a little bit on to see what opportunities are were there for the FHWA climate challenge. And I think as we start to look at things like low carbon construction material labeling being developed and opportunities for funding for low carbon construction materials, we're going to have to work together to find out what their goals are and then how we can help meet them as we're looking towards advancing industry goals. The time is now to start working on those relationships because the other agencies are going to spend the next few months putting those standards together, putting in rules in place and figuring out how to do this. When it's ready, we have to be ready hand in hand with those owners to execute on that vision. And it's going to take us working together and being partners with them to make that happen.
Thanks for listening to Pave It Black. Visit asphaltpavement.org slash podcast to find more episodes, suggest a topic or guest, become a sponsor, or learn more about NAPA. Pave It Black is produced and copyrighted by the National Asphalt Pavement Association. Music by Colleague. As always, thanks to the dedicated workforce connecting diverse communities all across America. Keep on paving it black.